Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. Thanks for coming back. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, a board-certified plastic surgeon in Miami, Florida. And this week, we are going to be rounding out what we've been leading up to for the past two weeks. We did a show on the lifestyle lift, and that was a two-part episode that, uh, if you've been tuning in each week, you heard part one two weeks ago and part two last week. Well, now we're going to be talking about face. That's the name of the show, about face, the truth about faceless. You heard some of the things that maybe are not the best way to go with facelifts on the last couple of shows. Well, now we're going to tell you what the real story is about facelifts. And I've got two great guests to join me. Joining us this week are going to be uh, Dr. Paul Howard and Dr. Timothy Martin, both board-certified plastic surgeons and well-known, each of them, for facelifts. Let's talk a little bit about facelifts and give you a little background. First of all, facelifts are one of the more popular procedures that we do. There were over 100,000 procedures performed in 2010 by board-certified plastic surgeons, and that's not including our facial plastic surgeon colleagues that are doing uh, probably an equal number of these. And there's it's just a, such a tremendously popular procedure. We all age. We've got the baby boomer population is getting older, and you know we're all kind of getting into that age where things are starting to sag. You know, gravity is not going to stop for anyone. So sooner or later, things start heading south, and people develop jowls as they get older. That neck skin that used to be firm starts to hang a little bit, and many, many people decide to improve their looks this way. In fact, between 2010 and 2009, there's a 10% increase between 2009 and 2010 in facelift surgery. If you go back, when did facelifts begin? Well, in 1901, there's a Dr. Hollander in Germany that was the first person to describe facelifts in anything written. They were probably being done well before that. From that 1901 publication, the next thing that you find is in 1906 in this country, uh, Dr. Miller, a surgeon in Chicago who described all sorts of procedures for the face in a, in a publication called The Surgical Treatment of Featural Imperfections. Well, we're still treating featural imperfections, and we're trying to make them better and better. Over the years, there's been a lot of advances, we're going to talk about some of them. You, you know a little bit about mini facelifts. We're, we're talking about them with the lifestyle lift. We'll speak about that today. There are things like thread lifts people have tried to lift the face, and we'll talk about the, what the story is behind that. Fat transfer, that's one of the more modern techniques for rejuvenating a face. And We'll talk about all of these things. Right now, I want to introduce my first guest, and joining us is Dr. Paul Howard. He's a board-certified plastic surgeon and well-known for facelifts. Dr. Howard, welcome to New Reflections. How's it going, Adam? It's going great. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show. You know, people listening in, as I mentioned, they, they've heard a little bit about facelifts on the last couple of shows, and we do talk about it a little bit, but there's a lot of folks out there that don't really know what a facelift means. You know, I'll get patients in my office, and they think a facelift is just a term to rejuvenate the entire face, the eyes, the brow, the cheeks, the chin, the, the neck, everything. What is a facelift exactly? Explain well, that's part of the problem that we have is that 
everybody uses the term facelift and everybody has a different conception of what it means. And in our practice, we try to break it down into specific things. We don't, we do mid, mid facelift, neck and forehead and eyes. And so we break it down like that. And if you happen to do everything, we might call it a facelift just for lack of any other uh, term. But basically you have to break it down and it's all based on the cheeks. And we, um, the, the primary procedure that we do is basically a mid-face lift to elevate the cheeks, and everything okay. works around that. So when you're talking about a mid-face lift, see, and it, it, you're, you're probably speaking about just below the eyes to the jawline. Right, exactly. I lower okay. eyelid to the jawline. Okay. And now when most people refer to a facelift, you know, when people talk about a mid-face lift or a full face lift, full face lift, most of the time in my practice, I think in many others, I think they're referring to just below the eyes to the base of the neck, kind of what you would probably call a mid-face and neck lift. Yeah, and, and we've one of the things that we've done a little different is we we decrease the amount of stuff that we've done to the neck. It seems that everybody we've got hung up on necks for a while, and there were a lot of necks done that were way too tight. And I think what we realized finally is that that the neck. Uh, does not have to be that tight and doesn't have to be that perfect. So we do less than we used to do on the neck and a lot more on the lower eyelid, mid-face junction. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that in a bit. Now, tell us, who's a good candidate? You know, you're looking in a mirror, you're looking at yourself, you're thinking, you know, I, I look kind of tired, I'm looking a little older, I want to freshen things up. What do you look for in, a, in, uh, in yourself if I have listeners that are looking in their mirror, what should they be looking for to decide, is a facelift going to be the right procedure, or should I be thinking about something else? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And, and the way I usually go about that is if you are looking at your face in the mirror, the, the parts of the face that are that that drop as you get older, the uh, nasolabial folds get thicker, the cheeks become uh, lower eyelids lower and the face lowers down onto the jawline and the the fat from the face actually then dips below the jawline. Once you get those marionette lines and the dip, we call it a bubble. Once you get the marionette lines, the angle of the mouth turned down in a bubble, you are past the point where anything will work but a facelift. If you're not to the point, that point, then sometimes you can do smaller things that, that work quite nicely. But once you get the bubble and once the bowls get deep and once the mouth starts to turn down, there's really no way to turn back from that point. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned maybe some of the things that aren't surgery that maybe in the early stages you can get by with that. If you're seeing a patient that's maybe late 30s, and I let me say this before I get going. I don't think there's any age that is the line you cross where suddenly it's time to think about a particular thing or not. Age is irrelevant because you'll see people that are in their late 20s sometimes that have just aged very quickly for their, their chronologic age. They look older than they really are. And then there will be folks that will be in their late 50s and look fantastic and not really be a candidate for any surgical intervention. So when I start talking about ages, it's just sort of generalizations. I'm not suggesting that if you, if you turn 35, 40, 45, that you ought to be looking for one thing or another. But let's say you get someone who's a little bit younger and they're just beginning to see the signs of aging. You mentioned the nasolabial folds. Those are those the smile lines, people call them, the lines that go from the corner of the nose to the corner of the mouth. And they tend to get deeper as we age because everything above 
begins to kind of sag down a little and move towards the middle of the face, hang more towards the chin and the nose, and that makes those, those folds, called nasolabial folds from the nose to the lips, they make them heavy. So as that starts getting a little deeper, and we see a few other signs of aging, what are some of the things that you might do for your patients before you advise them to have a facelift? Well, up until about four or five years ago, that was the those were the patients that got fillers around the office, and fillers meaning Restylane, Juvederm, collagen, uh, that sort of thing. But about five years ago, having come to the point where we were pretty much unhappy with fillers because of the length of time that they lasted and, and the fact that you had to redo them over and over and the material is quite expensive, we started processing the fat more effectively. And for five years now, we've been just doing processed fat as fillers. And since that time, I've not put in a store-bought or off-the-shelf filler. So what we do in those people that aren't ready for any sort of tuck or any skin tightening procedures, we use uh, fat as a filler, and it can go anywhere on the face. And it does a lot of things besides uh, make the wrinkles look better and things like that. And the fat biology is something that we've uh, we've studied a lot lately, and that's what's basically what's new in facelifting is, is what you can do with fat and the fat biology. No, I, I agree. I think I'm using, first of all, whenever I do a facelift, I'm guaranteed to be using fat in some way because it not only does it add volume and kind of plump things that you're trying to make a little fuller, but you, as you were mentioning, there's certain biologic responses, things that the fat causes in the skin, in the tissue below, that really rejuvenate it. There's, there's processes that we're just really starting to understand that are uh, – beneficial. And so I think using fat as a filler is terrific. In fact, there are some surgeons that argue that you, you don't need to do a facelift for a lot of people that end up getting them, that you can just do fat transfer. You know, there's one very well-known doctor in New York that has made a career on fat transferring and, and doing that. It's Dr. Sidney Coleman that you and I both know. Uh, but I think fat transfer has become a very useful tool. Now, you say you're, you're not doing any injectable fillers, you know, off-the-shelf fillers besides fat? None. I quit doing them about four or five years ago and now spend a fair amount of time taking care of the long-term problems from people that had a bunch of fillers injected into their faces. Because it turns out after a few injections over two or three months, six months, over two or three years, the fillers, when they get injected in the same spot, they don't incorporate into the tissues very much anymore because of lack of blood supply. And uh, I've been in where you where you make a needle stick, put in uh, fat, and you get filler out. It's been there for six months, and it comes out just exactly like it looked when it went in. Okay. So I think we're not beginning to – we're just beginning to see the problems with the massive amounts of fillers that people are using, trying to, to do these what are called liquid facelifts. Which is basically if you're gonna if you have anything that's aging or drooping, if you fill it up, then that should take the wrinkles away and make you look younger. And in some instances it does, but in other instances it just makes you look like you have a fat face. And we all know that people that have a little a little fat in their face uh, tend to age a lot better and a lot slower than people that have very thin faces. So it's been well, a yeah. long time, but it's not been it's not only been recently that people have thought that filling a face up with with material would in fact affect a facelift look, and I, I really don't think it does. 
Well, you know, I, I, I would disagree a little bit, and I, and I don't know, maybe I'm disagreeing or just restating something in a different way, but I do use fillers, and I use them for the younger patients that just want a little pick-me-up, a little freshening of the nasolabial fold, and I, I use them judiciously. I think I would never recommend to anyone that they do what, what you've referred to as a liquid facelift. So I agree, this stuff needs to be used judiciously. It needs to be used conservatively. You don't want to pump someone full of fluid. But I think used properly, used in, in moderation over time, you can. It's, it's an option for someone not quite ready for a surgical intervention. Now, fat can be used very well in a lot of those cases as well, but it does require a procedure. You know, there's an incision, there's taking the fat out, preparing it and re-injecting it. So I think for, for some patients, fat might be ideal, and others that may not really be ready emotionally or, or not interested in having any type of even minimally invasive surgical procedure, I think the injectables in my practice are still a useful tool. Well, and, and that's true, and I think most everybody, and I, I basically, I guess I'm a little bit of a purist like some of the people that trained us in plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, if I can find a way not to use it, I will. And the interesting thing about the fat also, and this is again comes from the, the, the people that taught us plastic surgery is, is what a, what a great efficiency of use is it that we take fat from somewhere and I've not met hardly a patient who did want to give some fat up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, there's no there's no shortage of folks waiting to give the fat. You know, robbing no. Peter to pay Paul, right? <laughs> exactly. It's yeah, uh, Scott's efficiency. We take it from one part of the body, process it, and then put it where it's needed. And it seems to be almost a perfect filler in that sense is that you get a little bit of body contouring that's for the positive. And what it does to your face is more than fillers because it does rejuvenate and it does make the skin a little thicker and takes away a lot of the blemishes on the skin because of the biology, the growth factors and the such that are in the fat that we didn't know about five years I, ago. I agree. I think there's a lot of that extra benefit. We're going to take a short commercial break. We've been digressing a little, talking about options away from facelifts that you might do before you have one. When we come back, we're going to get more into the facelifts, how we do them, how, what, why we do them, and, and what the options are. We'll take a short commercial break. We'll be right back here on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. 
Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccinello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein, and I'm joined by Dr. Paul Howard. And we've been talking about facelifts, and we're just having a chat about things you could do before you have a facelift. But now let's talk about that time where, you know, you're looking at yourself and you're describing the kind of things that, that would lead one to want to have uh, a facelift. Having those nasolabial folds getting deeper getting the jowls that might be hanging down or creating the bubble you were describing, maybe the the corner of the mouth starting to turn down a little bit from the descent of all that tissue. And a lot of times the neck is something we look for. Frequently folks will come to my office and the only thing they care about in looking at their aging is these bands they have in their neck or the hanging skin in the middle of the neck. So this is all something that plays into the decision to have a facelift. Tell me, when you're doing your facelifts, how do you advise a patient in terms of anesthesia? Because there's choices of you can go to sleep, you can be entirely awake and just have local anesthesia, and then there's that in-between that a lot of folks like, which is sedation, or some people call twilight, with local anesthesia. So what are your thoughts, Dr. Howard? Well, I think it's moving more, and, and certainly in this part, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, we're moving more to office procedures done not under general anesthesia. And, you know, a lot of that is just because of the, the, the complications and the, the problem getting your office set up for general anesthesia. And we're also in a, in a period of time when we're trying to control the costs of facelift surgery. And one of the ways you can do that is by doing it in your office safely, and, but you do it under a, a local anesthetic. And it's not just a plain local anesthetic. It, the, the, the techniques that I use, I've, I've learned from oral surgeons who are the masters at, at blocking nerves on the face. And even we don't even use xylocaine anymore for it because we found other anesthetics that don't burn as much, last longer, uh, and tend to work better. So the, the local anesthetic plus sedation of some sort seems to be the way it's going, both as a cost-saving measure and uh, the fact that people do uh, get up, walk out, you take the uh, a lot of the complications out of it if people don't have general anesthesia. And a lot of people ask for that, actually, these days, where it used to be 10 years ago, nobody asked for local anesthesia. And now, I'd say in our part of the world, they ask for it uh, more than anything else. So it's, it's the wave that's, that, that's now in Birmingham, for sure. 
Well, I think that there's, I think it's certainly a good choice. And, you know, for years and years, all the operations were done under local or local with sedation because the thought of putting someone, you know, to sleep uh, in the early years, of course, you just, it, it couldn't or wouldn't be done in the early, early years of this stuff. And then uh, as you, people went forward, it just was felt, well, you, you could do it with local, so why not? But then people, there was a, there was a shift towards general anesthesia uh, and, I'm one of those that offers both. If someone comes in, I actually recommend general anesthesia for comfort if a patient's particularly nervous or skittish. Uh, and, and a lot of folks down here in Miami, they prefer not to have any recollection or have com just complete, it would be completely gone, completely out for the surgery and wake up and be done. But then I, I do have a good number of patients that come and ask for ask if they can be awake. They have to go to sleep. They prefer not to. And I, this this operation can be done very safely either way. And uh, certainly, if you're going to be doing a really long operation, you have multiple things that are getting done. There's definitely the argument that having sedation and local, so long as the patient can be kept comfortable, is the best way to go to try and limit some of the nausea that they might have otherwise uh, from the general anesthetics or some of the other side effects of having general anesthesia. Uh, I think either way is a good choice and it's a patient preference thing in my practice, but the, I do see a good number of folks coming in for uh, asking not to go to sleep, you know, for local or local and sedation. I think part of that is driven by all those marketed facelifts out there that are promoting, hey, have it done in the office, go back to work, you know, all this kind of jazz. And it, while that may be true that you can do it in the office, I, you know, I think it's been hyped to where the public is more aware of it. So folks are coming in and, and asking about it and you just have a discussion and whatever method works for your surgeon and for you is okay as long as it's being done safely. You know, Dr. Howard's talking about a certified facility where everyone is monitored, where every, you know, patients are being treated in the safest manner. We're not talking about uh, you know, a medi spa where someone who dabbles in plastic surgery might come and offer to do a facelift for a cut rate. This is not something you want to look for a bargain basement price on. You want to make sure you're choosing properly. We always talk about this in New Reflections. Do your homework. Make sure you know what you're getting into and make good choices. So, yeah, the, the trend with anesthesia is, is probably to go with sedation local. I think general still a good choice. Right now, I want to introduce my next guest, and uh, he's, he's sitting on hold. I want to bring him on the air. This is Dr. Timothy Martin. Dr. Martin is a board-certified plastic surgeon, very well-respected for facelifts, and uh, he practices out in California. We're very happy to have Dr. Martin on the show. Dr. Martin, thanks for joining us on New Reflections. Adam, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, Dr. Martin, uh, you're, you're best known for... Uh, Detail in facelifts. Hello? Dr. Martin? Yes, I'm here. Okay. You're best known for detail in facelifts. And so I'd like you to make a few comments. You're really a master of analysis of the face, and you spent a lot of time looking at, at uh, different options in, in surgery and how the different choices we make in technique affect the end result. I wonder if you could make a few comments in comparing facelifts, because patients will go around looking at one surgeon or another, and uh, they'll they'll make judgments about the results they see. And 
what I'd like you to make a comment on is what do you look for? What makes a good facelift? Where are the telltale signs that someone can look and say, ah, this one was done really well, but you know that one, well, that probably could have been better. Well, I, I think the term facelift is uh, confusing. Um, the, the you know most patients uh, think of their face as what they wash in the morning, sort of the whole front of their <laughs> face. But of course, to a plastic surgeon, a facelift is really more of a cheek lift. The, the classic facelift operation lifts. Um, the cheek, the corner of the mouth, and the jawline, and there's a separate neck lift, a separate upper and lower eye lift, even a forehead lift. Um, patients who say they've uh, had a facelift have often had work on their neck and eyes or even their forehead, and they're just using the word facelift as a catch-all for that group of uh, uh, of procedures. I think also the terminology is not uniform some surgeons will call a forehead lift an upper face lift or a neck lift a lower face lift. So first off, I think patients should just uh, be clear uh, in talking with their doctors uh, about the terminology, what um, what the doctor's talking about. Um, I think it's common for patients to come in uh, worried about one problem, their their neck or their eyes, but the fact is the whole face ages, not just part of the face. Um, and... Uh, it's often uh, it's a bit of a paradox, but often doing more can look like less because we achieve a more uh, harmonious uh, uh, result when we touch a little bit on uh, multiple areas. Um, uh, the so, uh, idea yeah, is to create I, I a more harmonious appearance, kind of like painting all four walls in a room instead of just painting one wall. Sure, I think that's a good point, and I think, you know, the point you made, we were discussing that at the top of the show, uh, talking about facelift uh, as a term, and, you know, I think for our discussion, I'd say that the facelift is something that may deal with uh, just below the eyes down to the base of the neck, so the, the traditional definition, or our definition of a, a facelift, I know Dr. Howard was mentioning, he calls the, uh, he, he breaks it down into mid-face and neck, and I think that's a, a valid terminology. But I, we all agree there's some confusion in the terminology. So that's a very good point to make. Is if you're looking around from doctor to doctor at faceless, you probably want to make sure that you're comparing apples and apples. Make sure it's very well defined when you're comparing from different offices what exactly is being done. Now, if someone's looking at before and after pictures, Dr. Martin, what areas should they be concentrating on to see if if the the technique has been done well. You know, how can someone look at a before and after and pick out the good ones from the bad ones? Well, I think we all uh, have an innate sense of of what's beautiful and natural. So often, just uh, the gestalt you get is important, but it it can be deceptive. Um, a good surgeon should show um, one patient in well matched multiple views, not just uh, cherry picked views. The lighting and background should be uh, uniform. If the uh, two photographs don't appear to be taken with the same camera under the same conditions, uh, that's suspicious. Most uh, skilled surgeons uh, spend some time uh, uh, getting well-matched photographs. I think um, a hallmark uh, of a good surgeon is uh, he or she will be uh, will have the patient's hair off of the ear area so that the ear is open to inspection. Um, if if the hair is over the ear, the surgeon is hiding something, a bad scar. Uh, or a distortion around the ear, uh, it's not a valid excuse to say, oh, uh, my, my nurse took the picture or the patient had their hair that way. Uh, a good surgeon will uh, take the photograph in a way where the patient can see the details of, of the surgery. 
Um, the patient shouldn't, of course, be smiling in the after view uh, and not in the preoperative view, that sort yeah, of thing. That is a big one. I'll tell you, the smiling photograph is, is a real culprit. If you look around on the Internet at different websites and look at before and after pictures, it's very common to see on facelift photographs, or really any facial photographs, uh, a, a sort of static or non-smiling or even frowning picture as a before, and then have a smiling uh, picture where the, the patient's wearing full makeup in the after photograph. And uh, one thing I want to point out to our listeners, if you take a look at yourself in the mirror and just look with a neutral face, no smile, no frown, just a neutral face in the mirror, and then watch yourself smile, you're giving yourself a facelift with a smile. Yeah, the smile you, simulates the facelift improvement. Exactly. You're going to get fuller cheeks. Your, your, your cheeks are going to pull back a little bit. The muscles are going to tense everything up, and it will, your face will rejuvenate just with a smile. So I guess in one sense, the cheapest facelift is just putting on a smile. But the other, thing, the, the, the other point about that is a look for that. Because when you see those smiles in the after photographs, that's really disingenuous. And now uh, you, you mentioned the area around the ears, and that's something that I think folks need to look for. Because there's a little piece of anatomy there called the tragus. And the tragus is the, the little flap of skin that sticks and hangs over the opening of your ear. And that's one area where a facelift that's been made too tight or perhaps just not tailored just so can look unusual or can look pulled. That's one thing to look for. So covering the ears, that's a very good point, Dr. Martin. Yeah, Dr. I, Howard, I, uh, any other thoughts on things to look for? The ears, it seemed to be, you know, when, when I look at people who've had facelifts, my, my eye goes to the ear very quickly because you can usually tell somebody who's detail-oriented and who's done work a lot will take the care to get the ear right, get the ear low bright. And a guy out in California named Bruce Connell is the guy who I, I learned that from. And it, it today seems to be about the best way to tell if the surgeon is really, really on his game. Yeah, and I think we're looking at not only that area that we call the tragus, but also earlobes, because earlobes themselves can be pulled. Dr. Martin, other thoughts on the things to look for when they're looking at those before and afters? Uh, yeah, well, you know, having the hair off the ear, your surgeon should be honest, honest enough to show you a photo where you can see the quality of his work. I agree with Dr. Howard. Um, that aside from the tragus, the earlobe itself is often pulled in, in mini lifts or in one-layer skin face lifts, um, often the skin will pull backwards uh, on the earlobe and create a, a bizarre um, a pixie kind of appearance, um, which basically just brands a patient as, as having had um, a facelift. I think it's also uh, common for uh, uh, physicians to only pick out uh, a front view sometimes and, and not show the neck. I think uh, patients will feel that their facelift is a failure if the neck doesn't come out well, and a well-contoured neck and jawline is the hallmark of a fit, athletic, healthy, youthful, sensual uh, person. Um, and uh, it takes some work to get the neck right. Um, it's not always possible um, in many of these um, uh, infomercial uh, type of uh, lifts, franchise facelifts. They don't take the time necessary uh, you were making a discussion about anesthesia. They don't have good enough anesthesia to actually uh, produce a good neckline. So uh, I think a good neckline is also a, ha a hallmark of a well-performed facelift. Yeah, I agree completely. To me, you know, when we're talking about neck, and I know, Dr. Howard, you, this would be your mid-face and neck, but anytime a neck's being treated, 
it really does take a lot of care and attention to how you're redistributing things to make it look just so. And it can be very difficult, but I agree with you, Dr. Martin. That is the hallmark of an excellent result. When the neck is smooth and firm and it flows nicely across the jawline, that is a, a fantastic result when you can get it. We need to take a short break, and when we come back, we're uh, going to be continuing our discussion about faceless. And you mentioned those mini faceless in the marketed terms. I want to get into that with you guys. We're going to talk a little bit about those different faceless that are marketed. We're taking a short break right now. When we come back, we'll uh, continue our faceless discussion here on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're here on New Reflections, and we're having a discussion about facelifts. And uh, I'm joined by Dr. Paul Howard and Dr. Timothy Martin, and we've just been talking about what to look for in before and after pictures. And so a quick review, you've got to look for those ears. Take a look at the front of the ear, the little flap of skin that covers the opening of your ear called the tragus, and that can sometimes be pulled forward, and you can kind of see right down into the hole of your ear, which is not an attractive look. And then frequently, the ear lobe itself will be pulled, and that's a good thing to look for. Also, take a look at the neck, because the neck can really be the key to someone who has great technique or someone who's just kind of going through the motions. But now, once you've made your choice to have a facelift, and you start looking around at options and you are looking at before and after pictures and choosing you know, how, who you're going to go to and how it's going to get done, one of the things you might be thinking about is uh, going to kind of the, the branded offices 
And we're talking about facelifts like uh, Lifestyle Lift or the Quick Lift. And there's, there's I think one was uh, marketed under the Leisure Lift. They're around here in, in Miami there for a while, and I'm not sure if it's still around, was the South Beach Lift. There's all these marketed terms, and uh, that too can be confusing. If you thought just the term facelift was confusing, try figuring out what exactly a Lifestyle Lift or a Quick Lift or any of that stuff really is. It, it can be pretty confusing for you. So... Let's talk a little bit about the lifestyle lift. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we had that sh my shows that, that we had done on the lifestyle lift. So if you're listening, you know what it's about. But, you know, Dr. Martin, what are your thoughts on these branded facelifts, particularly the lifestyle lift, and, and as an option for, for patients? Why has it been popular, and, and what's the real story about it? Well, um, I think uh, people have to understand that uh, these kind of procedures, these, these are marketing concepts and marketing terms. Um, they're not scientific procedures or, or medically uh, val validated breakthroughs. Um, and any time um, uh, you're presented with a, a sugar-coated term like that, I think uh, the hair should go up on the back of your neck because you're basically being marketed to. Um, you're, you're being sold something, um, uh, you're, and you know some kind of cookie, cookie cutter uh, short procedure. Uh, typically, these are pitched uh, as uh, breakthrough procedures, um, and rarely are they even medically reported. Um, uh, there are also uh, they they appeal to the patient's understandable uh, 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 appeal of having a, a short procedure that's less expensive, perhaps under a lighter anesthetic. But the the real issue uh, about a facelift is how good we can make it, not how fast we can do it. Um, even price is secondary. Your face, second to your brain, is probably the most valuable thing you own. Um, and uh, people can spend uh, money on cars and remodeling their bathroom, and then uh, you know remodeling their kitchen. But it, it, suddenly they're going to, you know, take the cheapest route possible in having a facelift. And, and I just don't think that's a smart thing to do. You can get you can get rid of a car you don't like. You can even cover up a bad uh, breast lift. But your face is how you engage the world. And uh, really, the we even a B minus isn't good enough. A facelift has to be an A. You know, there's there's no, there's no room for media, mediocrity in facelifting. Um, and the fact is, all fine things take longer to make. A fine dress, a fine automobile, a fine watch. Uh, part of what makes them quality items is someone has take the time to, um, you know, do what needed to be done properly, and often that translates uh, into a higher cost. Um, uh, a fine meal costs more than uh, fast food. Well, there's no doubt, and, and I think you hit on the, the the main points here. Price is not necessarily the prevailing point to to choose to make your choice based upon. You know, you, you shouldn't be looking for the cheapest price when you're going in to have an operation. And I, I frequently mention this. You know, if you needed a cardiac bypass, you're very unlikely to be looking for the cheapest price in town. You're going to be doing your diligence to choose the best surgeon to help you with that type of an operation. And so I would submit that your face and your body shouldn't be any different. And we talk about this all the time on this show. Now, with these uh, marketed faceless, it, to my understanding, most of them are one variation or another on a mini facelift. Now, a mini facelift can be a very useful procedure for, the, the, for a properly chosen patient. The thing is, the number of patients for whom a mini facelift can be really useful is pretty small. It's a limited population 
because most of the time folks that become interested in rejuvenating their face or their or facial looks overall have aged to the point where a mini facelift just isn't going to cut the mustard to give them the result that they really are looking for. And so the places like Lifestyle Lift and, and others that are similar, though they're marketing an operation that is for a limited segment of the population, they seem to be marketing it towards the entire population. And I had a, a mentor when I was training in plastic surgery that was very fond of saying, no one key fits every lock. And they're trying to make that key fit in every in every uh, patient circumstance. It's just not the best choice. But I should say that mini facelifts can still be a good option for the properly chosen patient. Now, Dr. Howard, you have your own thoughts and even your own technique about mini facelifts. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the mini facelift and when is that a good choice and what is it you need to look for and what is it you need to avoid when choosing a mini facelift? Yeah, I think that, you know, because of the marketing with Lifestyle Lift and all that, more people are asking about mini facelifts. And the, the greatest problem they have, as you told, as you mentioned, Adam, was that they've got basically one operation for which they're trying to treat a multitude of problems. And that doesn't work in neurosurgery or cardiac surgery very well or anywhere, especially in plastic surgery. But <clears throat> many lifts, I mean, and what, when I was a resident in, in Miami, I, we used to call anything that had a mini lift got a mini result and that we were just being purists. But the fact is there are a lot of people, and it just depends on who you see in your practice, but a lot of people, especially in their late 30s, 40s, up to about 50, a lot of those people are interested in things that one would call a mini lift and basically it's it's just some version of a short scar facelift with some handling of the smas and uh basically uh based on the cheek and that's basically that's the way we do it it's 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 just a version of a short scar facelift and it's not a one size fits all because you know when you get them in their 60s and 70s you've got to do everything you know how to do plus then some but uh, not everybody these days needs to have that done. So the mini facelift, uh, to try and, and describe it for my listeners, the mini facelift is something that's done through a little bit of a shorter scar as compared to the more traditional facelift, and it concentrates on the middle part of the face. It's really meant to smooth out those nasolabial folds and the folds from the nose to the, the corner of the mouth, and make them smoother, flatter, and rejuvenate just the, the cheek area. But a mini facelift is really not going to do much for the neck, and it is a fairly limited procedure. So, you know, I think, as you were saying, Dr. Howard, you're looking for something, that, you're looking for a patient that has just early signs of aging, doesn't have a lot going on in the neck, doesn't have really heavy jowls, and if it's just a, a little refreshing, it can be a great procedure. It is a shorter procedure to do. Uh, and uh, that that does sometimes help with decreasing potential for complication, of course, and having less anesthesia. But it's not a substitute for a facelift if you need the full facelift. No, that's absolutely true, and that's that's the the number one point that I think you're making, and that that's everybody needs to understand that because if you don't understand that, then lifestyle lift becomes a viable option. <laughs> yeah, well, and that that's, I think, the, the take-home message when it comes to lifestyle lift is that 
it's not a it, any any cookie cutter procedure any any procedure that uh, kind of has its it's one way of doing things that it tries to be applied across the board is, is simply going to be destined to fail in a good number of, of cases because, as I mentioned before, no one key fits every lock. Now, Dr. Martin, we were talking earlier about the usefulness of fat, and uh, I want to get into this a little bit. Are you currently using fat transfer as part of your technique in facelifting? Yes, I am. Uh, I think it's really probably uh, the biggest uh, breakthrough in facelifting and facial rejuvenation uh, since the two-layer SMAS-style facelift. Um, and that's because we really age in three categories. Um, the surface of our face ages. Uh, things fall and droop and become loose and redundant. And the third category of aging is a facial hollowing medically known as atrophy, where the face becomes more gaunt and hollow, more hard-looking. Um, and up until fat grafting, we didn't really w have a way of treating that. We could improve the surface of the skin. We could lift what, what had sagged. Um, we could remove redundant tissue. But even in a well-performed facelift, the patient had a bit of a cougar look. She, you could still tell her age because her face was hollow and hard-looking. And adding fat back allowed us to restore that plush padding that's present in the teenage or the 20-year-old face that that is a hallmark of vitality, of, uh, you know, athletic, sensual appearance. Um, you can't lift an empty space. Uh, you have to fill it. The problem is it's been a hard sell for many years. Uh, I've been an advocate of this, and as you know, I lecture and publish on the topic of facelift and fat grafting. But 10 years ago, if I told a woman I wanted to inject some fat in her face, she would say, Dr. Martin, I'm already too fat. Why would you do that? She didn't, uh, you know, understand that parts of her face had become hollow. But, but over time, um, uh, through shows like yours, through um, the beauty press, patients have learned um, that hollowing is a part of the aging process. They've had experience, positive experiences with facial fillers um, and the benefits uh, they uh, offer. And now patients often come in asking specifically for um, uh, treatment in this way. And there's sort of two schools of fat. There, uh, sorry, two schools of thought. <laughs> some, two schools um, of fat. There you go. <laughs> some surgeons feel that every face can just be filled. If you take a loose face and put enough fat in it, you can make it smooth. But you also create sort of a giant unfeminine face. And I think you know many of your listeners may have seen some of these people walking around. Um, uh, the other school, which uh, I feel is probably the more correct way to go, is to lift what's fallen, get rid of what is loose and redundant, and then just use fat to put the you know, final polish on the facelift. And for me, anyway, it's taken my facelifts over the last 10 or 15 years uh, to a new level. Well, I, I agree in terms of the use of the fat, uh, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, that there, we do have colleagues that will argue that the fat is all you need to do, but I, I, I'm with you, Dr. Martin. Things start sagging, and they need to be lifted and placed back into the natural position. And Dr. Howard, you'll appreciate this. You got to return normal to normal. <laughs> and 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 aging is though a normal a normal process. It's not the the aesthetic ideal. You know, you need to know the ideal. And the ideal, and Dr. Martin, you've, you've alluded to that uh, sensual full face of youth. And while volume is definitely important, you know, that's where the fat comes in. Adding volume can be a great tool, but if you don't get the sagging bits back to where they came from, 
then you're, you're just not really fixing the problem. You're not identifying a part of the problem and not fixing it properly. So I, I definitely agree. You don't want to just pump the fat in there without really getting rid of the redundancy and the sagging and making things firm again. Let's take a, a one last commercial break. We'll come back and we'll finish up our discussion about faceless. It's been a great discussion. Join us back after this short break here on New Reflections. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're having a great discussion about faceless, and I'm joined today by Dr. Paul Howard and Dr. Timothy Martin. We've been talking about facelifts, and we're just talking about fat transfer and what a great tool fat transfer is. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, making the decision, having your surgery, looking at cost. As cost is a is a big concern. I see folks in my office every day that are uh, going to places like Lifestyle Lift, like uh, there's a business here called Strax, Strax Rejuvenation, who uh, their model is sort of high volume, low prices. And it's hard to compete with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's hard, hard to compete with that when you're doing a quality bit of work, you know. And Dr. Martin, you were saying good work takes time, and I agree. Uh, tell me, the environment in San Francisco, what does it cost in your office to come and have a facelift, and competitively, what is sort of the, the going rate? Do you have places like Strax Rejuvenation? I'm sure you have Lifestyle Lift. What's the, the climate there uh, in terms of the cost to have a facelift? Well, I'd start by saying there really is no mini facelift in that all facelifts are hard, um, the stakes are high, um, and um, you, you know uh, patients should uh, buy as much experience as they can afford. 
Um, and again, they should look to how they might spend their man- money on cars and home remodeling and other uh, expender- expenditures they make. This is something important that's going to last them a, la- a, la- a long time. And the most expensive facelift is probably the one that has to be done over, which is uh, commonly the problem with these uh, infomercial and franchise facelifts you've been speaking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree. I think all three of us and, and many, many of our colleagues will see people <clears throat> coming to uh, to have those revisions. And I think plastic surgery is, is not unlike uh, other businesses where it's uh, largely a time and materials thing. If a surgeon wants to cut corners, um, you, you can do the procedure quickly, take the patient's uh, check, and call it a facelift. But I think, really, this is not about how fast we can do it. It's about how good we can make it. And, and cost, uh, although it's always important, uh, is, is secondary. Um, the patient's safety, the quality of the result always has to come first. And the patient has to remember that they're going to live with that result. It's going to be right there. Where everybody can look at it. It's not something they can can hide or escape from. Um, but, of course, the, the cost of the procedure will vary depending on the difficulty of the procedure, how comprehensive it is, the type of anesthesia, where the uh, surgery is performed. So there's, there, there's a, a myriad of factors that, that go into it. But probably limited facelifts, you know, in the San Francisco area start in the realm of the low teens, of, uh, if you're including the surgeon's fee, the operating room fee and the anesthesia fee. If if a neck is included, it it would jump into the you know the fifteen the mid teen uh, region. And as you start to get more comprehensive, uh, it's my philosophy really that we need to touch a little bit in most people on forehead, eyes, face, and neck. Um, uh, create a comprehensive and more natural rejuvenation of the face rather than a spot rejuvenation and. And uh, th- I think this creates some of the most beautiful and more natural facelifts. But e- each I- item adds some cost. So uh, some of the more comprehensive facelifts um, can uh, be in the 20000 to $30,000 range for, for everything. So it really can get fairly pricey. Dr. Howard, how's it in Birmingham? Well, it's, of course, a little cheaper than that. I would say our, our, the stresses on the cost in Birmingham come mostly from dermatologists, and um, facial plastic surgeons, ENT doctors. And one of the ways that they get or try to get in the business is by undercutting prices and by advertising. And, you know, our old chief talked about advertising a lot, and it, you know, takes all of the normal ways that patients get to people out and uh, replace it with, you know, things that may or may not be true in the form of advertising. But in in Birmingham, we, we have a lot of that. But basically, for a basic cheek, lids, neck in Birmingham, it would be somewhere between 10000 and 13000 depending on where it's done. And uh, to do virtually everything I know how to do under general anesthesia would probably be about fifteen, sixteen thousand, 16000 something like that. That's probably pretty comparable to what's going on here in Miami, but we have a lot of that uh, going on with the advertising and wild claims. And so there's places you can go and, and get ridiculously low prices. But I frequently say if you go looking for the cheapest price, you go looking for a bargain, you might get more than you bargain for. We've had a great discussion. I wish we could talk a lot more about this. and I would love to have you both back to continue this discussion, but we're out of time. Uh, I want to thank you both for coming on, Dr. Howard, Dr. Martin. Thanks for joining us on New Reflections. Dr. Howard, quickly, your website? 
uh, paulhowardmd.com. And Dr. Martin, uh, someone wants to look you up in San Francisco? Um, martinclinic.com. Great. Well, it could not have two better authorities in facelifting to join me today. Thanks for listening to New Reflections and our discussion about face, facelifts, and the truth about facelifts. We have shows coming up that are going to be, uh, well, actually have a show coming up about fat transfer to the face, to the breast, to the body, to the butt. We'll be talking about fat transfer soon on New Reflections. We're also going to be talking about skin care and lots of skin care treatments and the latest updates. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, board-certified plastic surgeon in Miami. Join us again sometime soon here and New Reflections. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at drstashrubenstein.com or visit his website at www.drnet-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect